Good morning, everyone. Oh, who would have known a week ago today what was ahead of us? <laughs> but it seems maybe for the time being we're over all of that. We've got a beautiful week forecast ahead of us. But we give God thanks at all times for all things because he is the one that is in control and he is the one who has our back always. Be turning to John 19 and we will resume our study of this chapter. Uh, we have gotten now to the second point in our broad outline of this chapter, the crucifixion of Jesus, which will take us uh, verses 17 through 30, and then there's verses 31 through 37, which is the uh, piercing of the side of Jesus after he had died. But the actual crucifixion and death of Jesus is in verses 17 through 30, which we read last week, and we won't take the time now to uh, reread that. We'll just read the verses as we go. But let's look at uh, the first, uh, the verses 17 through 30. And really the narrative of the crucifixion can be divided uh, quite naturally into six paragraphs, each of which is a unit of action taken from the scene as a whole. You have in verses 17 and 18 the act of crucifixion. And then in verses 19 through 22, the placing of the title on the cross. In verses 23 through 24, the division of the garments. Verses 25 through 27, the provision for Jesus' mother. Verses 28 through 30, the final cry from the cross. And then, of course, after his death, verses 31 through 37, the piercing with the spear. So we'll go as far as we can. I anticipate one more Sunday uh, in wrapping this up, but I believe we need to take time and not rush through this. If ever the well-worn phrase, this is what it's all about, can be applied, certainly it's here. The crucifixion the atonement for our sins. That most certainly is what it is all about. So let's get into it. Let's begin with verse 17 and read verses 17 and 18. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the middle. And thus, that is John's description of the crucifixion. Uh, the crucifixion, uh, interestingly enough, was mentioned in the fewest possible words. I mean, this is it, verses 17 and 18, the actual putting Jesus on the cross. We've already mentioned that evidently John was the only one of the apostles uh, who was there who actually eyewitnessed the uh, crucifixion, but yet he is the one who said the least about it. 
The Holy Spirit's in charge here in the inspiration of the writing of the, of the scriptures, so we don't question that. Uh, Matthew, by far, gives more details, 26 and 27, of the crucifixion, and then Mark and Luke also fill in other details. John is just very brief and to the point. The paragraph merely states, by John, the act, the place, and the fact that two others who shared the same fate were crucified with him, and that's it. Uh, I've read uh, some commentators speaking of or maybe speculating as to why he was so brief when all of the, the seven sayings from the cross that the others go into that, that John doesn't mention and the other details, many other details, that maybe the, the reason is because John uh, did not lay very great value upon stressing the physical suffering, the physical aspect of it. We know that much more was going on here than just the putting to death by crucifixion a human being. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He is man, he is divine. We know from Scripture that when he went to the cross, he bore our sins. And that's uh, not within the realm of public, I mean, of... Uh, uh, physical suffering. Uh, so that's what was going on. And I believe another thing that was going on was the fact that the equality with God that he gave up, according to Philippians 2 and following, the giving up of the equality of God to come in human form as a slave, being obedient to death, even the death of a cross, and that not being regained, as we see in the rest of scriptures, he is forever the son of God, with God the Father. And so that was going on here. Maybe it played into what Jesus was praying in the garden, please, three times, let this cup pass if it's possible. So a lot was going on here other than just the physical part of crucifixion. And it seems that so very often we, we want to zero in on that and uh, really place a lot of emphasis on the physical suffering. Certainly it was. Crucifixion was a criminal's death. Uh, it was horrendous as I can understand it. But yet John, by inspiration, summed it up in uh, these few short words. Well then going on, uh, verses 19 through 22, this is the placing of the title on the cross, beginning with verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. 
And so there is some significance here in the matter of placing this title on the cross. It's uh, in various forms and other, but when you put it all together, the four Gospels, it comes out, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Really, maybe there are two uh, points of significance here with this inscription. As I understand it, uh, in this day and time when criminals were uh, crucified and they would always put something on the cross and it was usually hung over the crucified criminals to inform the public of the reason for their execution. Interesting point. This was the Romans. And you would pass by back in that day and time. It was rather commonplace. And see somebody hanging on the cross. A criminal that has been crucified. And uh, you can know instantly uh, why he's hanging there. And so in like manner a uh, title was placed over the cross of Jesus. But in this instance with Jesus... I think Pilate was using it as a a vehicle uh, for uh, maybe a sarcastic thrust at the Jews because what was he doing? He was exhibiting this man, Jesus, condemned to a criminal's death at the demand of his own national rulers as their king. So one final jab. They hated Caesar, though they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. And uh, the Roman officials hated the Jews. It was a mutual hatred, it it seems. Small wonder then that the uh, chief priest protested, asking that it be amended to state that this was his claim, not the Roman verdict. But... Pilate refused to cave in to their commands or demands at this point. He didn't previously. He delivered them over to them to crucify it. He caved in, but not this time. In that refusal to amend what he had written, all of the hatred of the Jews that he had was concentrated. And he stubbornly objected to lifting the stigma which the death of Jesus placed upon the nation. It is so interesting to me how this unfolds. Uh, Jesus uh, was the Savior of the world. He was the uh, Messiah. And yet they had all of the prophecies which Jesus fulfilled, which is supposed to identify the Messiah when he came. But because of pride and stubbornness, stiff-neckedness, as Stephen would claim later on, uh, they just refused to accept him. And so they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. And then in another one of the Gospels, not John, uh, when Pilate uh, said, uh, you crucify him, Uh, I find no fault with him. And then it says that he washed his hands. And the Jews, the leaders, replied by saying, well enough, his blood be on us. 
And so it has been since the cross, this stigma. But the other significance in this inscription, it really is the ironic statement of truth that it represented. Uh, even though the concept of the kingdom of God is much less prominent in John than in Matthew, especially, John put himself uh, on record concerning the nature of the kingdom by quoting Jesus' own words uh, previously in his gospel. You remember back in chapter 3 and verse 5 uh, with the discourse with Nicodemus that Jesus said the kingdom could not be entered except by those who experienced a spiritual rebirth. And then just recently in chapter 18 and verse 36, uh, John confirmed the essential spiritual character of the kingdom by saying to Pilate that it is not of this world. So John identified with the uh, spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, so Jesus' claim to royalty was asserted in a new way and was supported by unusual methods. So he demonstrated his sovereignty by dying, not by fighting. And the inscription on the cross was the expression of that fact. Pilate didn't realize what all he was doing, but uh, the title that he put on there on the instrument of death of Jesus uh, said this is the Messiah. He died, uh, he is the king of his kingdom, but not by fighting, but by dying. Another one of those seeming paradoxes that we find in the scriptures. But we go on to verses 23 and 24, which is the division of the garments. Verse 23 then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. The soldiers gambling for the clothes of Jesus was not really uh, uh, an exceptional form of brutality uh, here. It was, as I understand it, uh, the common practice that the soldiers that was uh, carrying out such executions that the clothing uh, that remained uh, was theirs. And this was a common practice, and so they're following through now with Jesus. Uh, I think the importance of this incident was that the soldiers gambled for the seamless tunic just as it was prophesied in Psalm 22 and verse 18 that uh, is quoted here in his, his gospel. It seems that three times in this narrative, in verses uh, 24 here, and then later in verse 28 and verse 36, that uh, 
the fulfillment of Scripture was mentioned. You know the overall theme of John as we have been studying it uh, is belief. To cause people to believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And so John wanted to make sure that the reader would understand that the event, this event was connected with Old Testament prophecy. Even the dividing of the garments. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, did not mention or suggest that the division of the garments was a fulfillment of prophecy. It's mentioned, but not as a fulfillment. John says, even this was a fulfillment of prophecy. And now we come to uh, verse 25, the women at the cross. I want us to look at, uh, I hope you still have that chart that I handed out. Uh, Mark, could I get somebody to... I found a few more copies. I meant to make even more than this after I found out that he ran out last week, but at least I've got these extras. For anybody who didn't get one last Sunday, uh, maybe you can get one. Quality is not good, but maybe uh, you can make it out. But verse 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother... And his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And the other gospel accounts um, mentions the same thing in a little bit different order. And so this chart that uh, Kay put together several years ago uh, lists each of the three Gospels that, that mention this, and going across from each scripture, you see what is mentioned by that author. So Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six, there is Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And we're going to pay special attention to that third column there. Coming down to Mark 15, verse 40, there was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph and Salome. Or Salome, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Salome maybe. And then of course John's account here which says that his mother was there and Mary Magdalene. Mary the wife of Clophus, Alphaeus. The sister of of Jesus' mother. So putting Matthew, Mark, and John's accounts together on this third column, you have besides uh, G, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and uh, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of uh, James and Joseph's wife of Cleophas, you have this other woman who is the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and Salome, the sister of Jesus' mother. Salome, I believe, was Mary's mother of Jesus' sister. Which then makes uh, James and John cousins of Jesus. Just an interesting fact to put it all together and, and see what it says. So these are the uh, women at the cross. And of course John himself 
of the apostles is there. But the Holy Spirit brings out in all of these accounts these women. Women played a most significant role in the ministry of Jesus. That's a whole study in and of itself. But along with the apostles and Jesus going from place to place uh, for three years in Palestine, there is also following them many times women who help minister to their needs, and some even financially. It may be that Salome, Mary's sister, uh, was that family was maybe a little bit more prominent than the other. Because we read uh, how that, uh, well, let me just back up here and read verses 25 through 27. Beginning with 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. Um, and so we find here then uh, these women and John himself being there at the foot of the cross. So I'm just making the point that it's interesting that the Holy Spirit wanted us to, to know that at this last moment, the death of Jesus, the women are there. Where are the men? John's there, but so is his mother. Where are the others? And we know the events that have led up to this, what happened in the garden, the scattering, and then Peter there in the courtyard uh, or the, the trials and everything. But John was there and the women. And where would we be without the women in the kingdom? There's a divine order of, of uh, authority and leadership but everyone's equal at the foot of the cross in value. Different roles. And certainly women have always played and continue to witness the room across the hall and what all goes in there with our women and other things that our women do. Uh, thank you. But these, the two paragraphs then concerning Jesus' mother in verses 25 through 27 that we just read, and also the verses that we haven't read yet, verses 28 through 30, the completion of Jesus' work, contain all of the words that Jesus spoke from the, John as, uh, from the cross as John uh, presented them. And again, brief in nature, to the point. They represent the thought and action of Jesus in the last hour of his earthly life. And each word really was significant because it denoted a different relation of Jesus to his work. So notice some of these utterances. And uh, this is by no means uh, all of them, as we've said. If you compare it, a good way to study 
any of the gospel accounts as with a harmony of the gospels. And perhaps her Bible might even have a harmony in the back. Uh, but I like the harmonies that actually have the scripture, not just the reference, but the scripture themselves. Uh, the harmony that I have that I used way back in, in college has the scriptures. And so it's easy just to look on one page, the four columns, and see which author said what and how it is in relation to, to the other and so on. But anyway, uh, look at the words that John records. Woman, speaking to his mother Mary, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. And really this marked the discharge of his human obligations. He was the elder son in a family that had siblings, brothers, sister. Uh, so even at the cross, uh, we see him carrying out his earthly responsibilities. I kind of got off track up here and looked talking about the, uh, the women at the cross. So let me just, I'm trying to rush up a little bit and it's messing me up. But going back up to the women of the cross, and we mentioned that Salome was the sister of Mary and the mother of James and John. Uh, here it is said that uh, when uh, Jesus died, that I mean right before he died, that he told his mother to behold your son, John, and uh, for John to behold uh, his mother. And then from that hour, John took his mother uh, home with him. So we'll look at that uh, in just a moment. But it's significant. Uh, maybe it was because of the unbelief of Jesus' brothers. You know, back in chapter 7 and verse 5, uh, we see and uh, it is recorded how that his brothers were not believers at that point. Uh, and so maybe through the years this had created a, a rift in the family circle and had alienated his brothers from him. And so since probably there was no member of the family present whom he could entrust her, where are the other siblings? Mary is there, and John of the apostles is there, but even of Jesus' earthly family, where were they? And so John is there. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And from that hour, she goes to be with John. Now later on, the uh, brothers become believers, even pillars and leaders in the church, but up to this time, they did not believe they were not there. So he put her in the care of the beloved disciple who alone of the twelve appeared at the cross. And so this immediate response uh, that from that hour he took her to his own home was proof of his loyalty. Now look at that, his own home. 
Probably uh, John's home was uh, in Capernaum. I know he's also from uh, Bethsaida, but Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee probably was uh, where they made their home. And John, I mentioned a while ago that uh, John may have been uh, uh, a little more prominent. Uh, His mother, Salome, may have had uh, financial means by which he could assist financially to Jesus in his work, his ministry through the years. Uh, the family seems to have been prosperous. Uh, look about it. Uh, look at it. You have the father Zebedee, his mother Salome, and then his brother James. They had a fishing business. And it must have been a rather prosperous fishing business because one of the gospel accounts, not John, even mentioned them having a hired servant. And so they had uh, means, evidently. And so most likely they maintained both in Jerusalem and in Capernaum homes. You know, there was the yearly treks to Jerusalem for the various feast days. Uh, The northern coast of the Sea of Galilee was a long distance from Jerusalem. So it's very possible that given uh, their uh, means, financial means, that they had a home uh, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And this might explain uh, that from that hour, uh, John took her to his home. And maybe that was the home in Jerusalem. This also might explain how the high priest, Caiaphas, knew John. You remember that, that uh, because he knew John, he was allowed to come on in with Jesus and was the one who went out and said, you know, that Peter can also come uh, closer. Well, maybe through the years uh, with being in Jerusalem and the various feast days and everything, John and his family would be there. And before Caiaphas even became high priest, maybe they were knowledgeable of each other. And maybe this is how the, whole, uh, the high priest knew John. Just a speculation, but interesting. But anyway, the point is, from this point on, Mary's home was with John. And I take it that's where he went. Uh, maybe even later on, uh, as he approached his death in exile, Maybe she was, we don't know. But anyway, Jesus took care of his mother. That's the point that we need to take away from this. And then verses 28 uh, through 30. This is the final cry from the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, a vessel full of sour wine, I think King James says vinegar, uh, was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So, 
There's a lot to be said in these two expressions that John chose to record uh, the sayings from the cross. I thirst uh, and it is finished in these verses. So we will stop here. I think we can finish up next week, uh, the Lord willing. Uh, But we will begin next week by looking at I thirst. Anyway, any comments before the others start coming in? Any comments or questions anybody would like to make? No. Right, and there's just silence. A lot of speculation, uh, but he's not there. And I think given his description in the very early days, you know, surrounding the birth of Jesus, certainly... If he'd been alive, he would have been there. Yeah. Behold your mother, behold your son. I haven't given it that much thought. Uh, what's your thinking on it? Comfort. Yeah. Behold, this, this is something important here. I'm about to leave this earth physically. I'm sorry? He's telling her to see John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Just an emphasis on that uh, uh, she needs to be cared for. And yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. Anybody else? All right, we'll start here next week, and Lord willing, we'll finish up.